Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello there and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to what will be making the news over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, we'll be asking what to expect from a brace of struggling engineers, and we'll also check out the latest on the oil front. Finally, in the rapidly changing world of technology, we'll find out whether extra characters in a tweet will make any difference at all to Twitter's share price, and whether we've had enough of chips. I'm joined by Robert Lee, The Times industrial editor, Robin Pagnamenta, our energy editor, and on the line from New York, The Times US business editor, Alexandra Freen. Welcome to you all. Bob Lee, let's start with you. We're getting results from Rolls-Royce and Jaguar Land Rover. Taking Rolls-Royce first, just remind us, how many profit warnings have we had today and would you predict another? Since uh, February 2014, we've had a total of five profit warnings. Uh, there's, you can't rule anything out with a Rolls-Royce. What we will get next week, though, um, uh, is some pretty bad news. Uh, we're expecting, in, for 2015, a fall in profits of about 15%. But they've already warned that profits will halve uh, from uh, 2014 levels uh, in 2016 for a whole load of issues across its uh, aerospace engines business, which is its largest business, but across its marine business and its land uh, vehicles as well, which is construction vehicles and tractors and what have you. So Rolls isn't in a great place uh, as much for looking out for, uh, for its uh, earnings for forecast for 2016. Uh, we'll want to know whether the dividend is safe, and there's a fairly good chance that the dividend may well be cut. Uh, and there's even talk that there may need to be a rights issue. There's been a lot of management uh, restructuring, or they've started, so right at the top as well. Is it because the, the part of the problem that Rolls-Royce needs to change its internal structure, the way it does business, or is it the global market, or a bit of both? Certainly a bit of both. I mean, there is a, a bit of fallout in the global market, uh, and that's affected the marine business, where they uh, have engines for uh, offshore oil and gas. The aero engine business uh, has been uh, the victim of timing. So there was a delay on the uh, the Dreamliner, the 787 from Boeing. There was a delay on the A350 from, from Airbus, which uh, caused an issue for, for Rolls-Royce. But fundamentally, what the chief executive uh, the new chief executive, Warren East, who came in last July, has found uh, he uses the word mud to describe the internal communications of this organisation. Uh, we on the outside of the organisation have been used to bad communications from Rolls-Royce, but now we find out they're not particularly good at um, communicating to each other within the business as well. To a lot of people who hold Rolls-Royce, former staff members, a lot of private investors, do you think now is the time to get out or do you see some sense of structure coming, some sense of hope with Warren East and what he's trying to do. Can you look through the years, through the mud in you? 
Warren East has given himself 18 months to show some sort of uh, new line of... Uh, trend and traffic for the for, for the company ultimately this is a great british champion they're on some terrific aero engine platforms and fundamentally it's a great great business they've got some issues at the moment but what we have found out in the last six months of warren east being in charge is that they're actually uh, they're not even too certain about how good they are themselves Talking about great British institutions, Jaguar Land Rover. I mean, was it the last Defender came off the line recently? Indeed, that's right. What are you going to hear from them? Uh, They too are having a a bit of a rough time. Um, I mean, the first thing to say about Jaguar Land Rover, and you can't emphasise it enough, uh, that this is one of the great sort of resurrections of the British um, automotive industry. Their last sales figures showed that they had doubled sales over the last uh, five or six years since uh, the business was bought out of Ford and uh, bought by Tata uh, of India. But uh, over this last year, over this last 18 months, two years, its success, which was based on uh, sales into China, has begun to unwind for any number of reasons, which we uh, are well rehearsed about China. And at its last figures, we're going to get third quarter figures. It's the third quarter of its financial year uh, out next week. And at its half year, uh, those hits profits had actually halved. And and that is all down to the fact that it, it can't or is not selling as many premium price cars as it has been oh, I say premium price cars, we're talking about Range Rovers top of the Range, Range Rovers selling for a lot of money they're not selling as many as they uh, did in China, I mean um, not so long ago almost a third of Jaguar Land Rovers production uh, was going to China, uh, now it's less than one fifth and we're in a situation where Jaguar is selling more cars in Britain than it is in China which is itself a quite an extraordinary statistic Quite worrying, too. Um, Alexandra Freen in New York, let me bring you in here. We've heard from uh, General Motors and Ford. Clearly, like Bob was saying, Jaguar Land Rover, uh, dare one said, a, a flagship of the motor industry over here. What's the situation in the car market, particularly the consumer car market in the US? Well, uh, in the domestic car market in the US, it's going great gangbusters. Both GM and Ford have just reported record profits. 2015 was a record year for car sales. Um, People are buying uh, big SUVs and crossover type cars again because uh, petrol is so cheap. Um, So, you know, on one level, it looks great. Ford is saying it's going to match or improve on its record sales in 2016. Um, I'm not sure that the market will be able to sustain those levels of growth at some point. the, the market for new cars will become saturated. At some point, increased interest rates are going to raise the cost of buying a car. Don't forget that so many people in the States buy their car on a lease, so they're very uh, affected by interest rate increases. But for now, they're doing really well. And, and Robert, this is also, uh, JLR's poor performance is also very bad news for the company's Indian parent, Tata Motors, isn't it? Because uh, for, for several years now, um, JLR has been the the sort of the, the, the best performing part of that business, Tata Motors has been really struggling in its home market, and JLR has has been the sort of engine of growth. Uh, so so there'll be some some worried faces in in Mumbai uh, at, at Tata Motors, which which is having a rough time has been having a rough time uh, for, for years now. Just before we leave Motors, are there any updates on where we are with Volkswagen? Uh, first of all, you Bob, what about Europe? Where are we? Uh, anxious Volkswagen owners. There's not so much new news to uh, report on this. I mean, what they've said is that they, they don't believe they have uh, a financial exposure to its uh, customer base. The important thing uh, for Volkswagen ultimately is the legal cases that will come against it from uh, both regulators, from states, 
multiple states in in, in the US and from uh, European states and even further afield. afield. Um, Some interesting statistics uh, just out from the uh, Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders in the UK uh, on UK sales, which are very strong at the moment. Volkswagen's down 13%. Now, you can't just take January as, uh, as one month because it's, it's a strange month anyway. But that is actually a bit of a trend because uh, VW sales have been coming down since they first found out that they were uh, cheating regulators on emissions. Alex, what about in the US? Well, we've got um, VW is still negotiating with the regulators on, uh, on a fix for the problem and they still haven't reached agreement. So they're butting heads there with the regulators at a federal level and in California. And as Bob said, they're facing a raft of uh, lawsuits from consumers and uh, government bodies. So they will be hit hard, but we're in a sort of limbo period right now. Uh, Their sales have been hit here, but um, I'm always surprised at how quickly car companies recover from these crises. You look at how Toyota rebounded from its big US scandal from uh, 2010. They, They now have recovered all the market share they lost. Well, talk about recovery. Let's move on to oil then and uh, any prospect of an oil recovery there. We've got BP publishing uh, Robin Pagnamenta, its annual World Energy Report next week. And of course, uh, London's hosting the International Petroleum Conference. First of all, what do you expect to be the key points looking forward on the sector in the annual uh, World Energy Report? Uh, Well, I think the key question that's going to be on everyone's lips and, uh, you know, what everyone is going to be looking for are... uh, is evidence of when this global glut of oil is going to to end. For the past uh, 18 months, we've had overproduction from OPEC members, uh, especially Saudi Arabia, but also Russia and other um, big oil exporters. Uh, currently, oil production is, is running at about a million barrels a day over and above demand and you know it's not clear yet uh, when when this glut is going to end um, now BP did actually we, we did get a bit of a sense of what BP um, may say next week uh, from their chief executive Bob Dudley a few days ago who set out his stall they they are essentially betting on uh, an oil price recovery in the second half of this year and um, Bob Dudley suggested that um, falling US production from the shale industry was going to start having an impact on the market, and and you know that that would help balance supply and demand in in the back uh, in the second half of, of this year. He may or may not be right about that, um, but I think it's worth mentioning that to some extent he is talking his own book because BP really does need uh, a rebound in oil prices in order to be able to maintain its payout to shareholders, and that's that you know he's under enormous pressure. All the um, big oil company CEOs are under tremendous pressure to maintain those payouts and there are signs that they're under growing strain. We just had uh, ConocoPhillips today um, uh, cutting its dividend. We've had um, a couple of other big oil majors. Uh, so far BP and Shell have managed to sustain their, their payout but uh, you know, I think if things continue they'll be under growing pressure. I wonder, Robin, because the oil price is so connected to production levels, uh, what the effect of um, Iran coming back into the market is actually going to have? Well, it's a very good question and, and one that uh, you know that there's a lot of debate over. Um, the Iranians have, have claimed that they can raise production very quickly by about a million barrels a day within six months. There's some scepticism around those figures. Iran has enormous oil reserves, but its industry is... It's very much starved of investment. It's it's been 
in a in a state for for a long time and um, although there will be some uh, fields that they can raise production rapidly, what they really need is technology and investment. And it's very difficult to to get that technology and investment at a time when oil prices are so low. So certainly the big Western oil companies are going to be quite hesitant to, uh, to, to get into Iran quickly. So I think those figures of a million barrels a, a day need to be treated with some scepticism. But nevertheless, you know, there is um, Iranian production coming back. It is having an impact on the market. There are Iranian cargoes of oil, and the, the Iranians have also had a lot of oil in floating storage, which which can you know come onto the market quite quickly. So it is having an impact, and um, and certainly some of this fall in U.S. shale uh, production is going to be offset by by Iranian production. Well, moving seamlessly from getting stuff out of the ground, probably up to cyberspace. Alex, over there in New York, we've already heard from Apple, Google and Facebook. Next up's Twitter. What do you expect? Well, Twitter's in serious trouble. And uh, the, the figure that everyone will be looking at uh, next week when they publish their results is uh, their user growth, um, which has really fallen off a cliff. They are adding users, but not nearly at the rate they need to convince investors that they are heading somewhere. Um, I'm not sure that we ever knew what Twitter was really for in a commercial sense. And um, uh, the company is really struggling to prove that. It's, uh, investors have just really deserted. It. It's not just that it's not growing its user base fast enough. There are lots of reports um, that the number of tweets that people are sending out has fallen off a cliff and really declined dramatically. And that's bad news for the company because it won't be able to monetize its user base and attract advertisers. So um, things are looking pretty grim for the company. I was just wondering what it means for you, Robert. I mean, it's quite well known that you're one of the oldest tweeters in the UK. Uh, what do you think? One of the oldest people in the UK, Bob, period. I'm not sure that 146 characters is going to make any difference, which is what is actually, I think, quite interesting about this, that all these companies, if you think like Apple, Google, Facebook, the services, and presumably uh, Alex, they want to make money from advertising and people just aren't interested, are they? money from advertising and I think users will put up with that. It's just that what they have to do is make Twitter easier to use and they are being faced with a whole, you know, instant messaging is not going to disappear and social media is not going to disappear but there are, there are rivals now to Twitter. There are Instagram, there's Snapchat, even Facebook is, is has functions now that rival Twitter. There are new companies Peach.cool which is a, a, a really cute messaging app that has all kinds of added functions uh, that's much more imaginative than Twitter and users are migrating to these rivals and Twitter hasn't been able to come up with any sort of wow product to uh, win their users back. Just briefly, I, I noticed Bob was actually noting down there peach.cool because obviously he's well up to the times. Just arm, a great British company uh, over here, over there and indeed all the way around the world. Great statistics about all its uh, chips uh, in most smartphones and gadgets. We're going to be hearing from them. Do you think that they can carry on their growth in the in, in the current climate, or are we getting tired of chips, as we said in the beginning? Well, no. There is talk that um, ARM is poised to benefit from a number of changes. Google is uh, uh, apparently Google, which is the world's biggest server buyer, and um, the third biggest buyer of server processors. That it buys thirty 
300,000 server processes a month. And there's talk that they're going to switch from their suppliers to start using Qualcomm servers, which use ARM chips. So that's great news for ARM. There's talk that Amazon may also soon switch to ARM-based chips. If those things happen, that's great news for ARM, bad news for Intel. And this is a really shifting geography in, in this whole market as, as, as the market moves from PCs to mobile. The established companies are fighting for market share. And uh, if ARM can benefit from those two big companies, Google and Amazon, then um, that's really good news for them. Thanks, Alex, for that. And that's just about it for now. But remember, you can keep up to date with all those results as they happen on our website. If you're a Times subscriber, you can sign up, if you haven't already, of course, to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. And if you haven't got a subscription, we're running a special £1 offer. Go to thetimes.co.uk. If you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Robert Lee, Robin Pagnamenta, and, of course, Alexandra Freen over there in New York. They are on Twitter, so do follow them. Very opposite that. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.